Hey guys, how's it going? Scott here again with another episode of the SBL podcast and I'm super over the moon to announce that this week we've got an amazing guest, the the one and only Cody Wright. Now, as I told you in last at the end of last week's podcast, I've been aware of Cody probably for the last two or three years. The first time I heard him, my eyes literally popped out on stalks. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. He's just such a talented player. He actually plays exclusively with a pick, with a plectrum, which makes him, you know, quite unique. And and he's got a really, you know, just such a funky vibe as well. If you're if you're aware of the bass player Bobby Vega, it's that kind of style. Um, but but Cody really brings his own thing to it as well. He's he's got some advanced harmony going on. It's really really cool. He has toured internationally with the likes of Jonathan Scales and the Jonathan Scales Orchestra, um, and the, he's gigging now with the Eric Gales Band. Both fantastic bands, by the way. I'll put um, links and videos of these guys in the show notes of this episode. So check them out over at scottsbasslessons.com um, if you want to check those. You know, if you want to get into the videos and, and see see Cody play. Well, in fact, Cody's got his bass in this in this uh, interview, so you're going to hear a bit of him playing anyway. Now, the crazy thing is, in this interview, and you'll hear uh, Cody tell us about this when I'm interviewing him, is that Cody started playing bass when he got a gig playing bass. He was a guitar player beforehand, and he got offered a really great gig, but he wasn't a bass player at the time, and started playing bass to start gigging with that band, which actually was the Jonathan Scales Orchestra. How crazy is that? So he didn't actually play bass beforehand, before he was in the Jonathan Scales Orchestra. He he started playing bass so he could play with the band. He got offered the gig before he played bass. Now, <laughs> oh, when he tells me, you'll hear it in the interview. I just my jaw hit the floor. I was like, "What? That is amazing." But, you know, I'll let you uh, hear it for yourself. He's such a a really sweet and cool guy. And also for Academy members, remember, obviously, you can watch the entire video version of this interview as well, as you can with all our other interviews. But Cody has also done a live seminar for us in the past and where he, he focused on pick playing and how he developed that and the exercises he was using to do that. So if you are an Academy member, just log into your account and uh, go to the seminars, okay? Log into your account, go to the seminars, and you'll find Cody's seminar in there. It's, an, it's over an hour long. So it's really, really cool stuff, and you'll you know get stuck into all his shenanigans. Now, also, before we get into the into the interview. Uh, just a few days ago, we launched the brand new issue of iBase magazine, which is the digital magazine we're going to be bringing you every month from scottsbasslessons.com. And the response has been absolutely immense, guys. So just a huge, huge shout out for all the thank you messages that we've been getting on Facebook and the emails coming in. It's been really, really overwhelming. It's really emotional for me um, because there's been a lot of work gone into the magazine and just to know that you guys are enjoying it so much and are are excited about it as me just absolutely blows me away. Now, to celebrate the launch of the new issue and the fact that iBase magazine is now being brought to you by Scott's Bass Lessons every month, we've got an amazing special offer running right now where you can get an annual subscription for the magazine 
Okay, and it's a monthly magazine. You can get an annual subscription, which obviously includes 12 issues for under, check this out, for, it sounds crazy saying this, for under $2 a month. I think it's something like $1.60 a month or something. So like half a cup of coffee, a quarter of a cup of coffee or something like that. And the reason why I'm really excited about this is because it means that everybody can, you know, can can jump on this magazine and can get this magazine because we're making it really, really super cheap and available to all you guys. And the, the thing I'm really excited about is the content that we can put into this magazine. Because it's digital, it means we can put videos in there. It means there'll be reviews and news and there'll be play-alongs in there. There's going to be lessons in there. It's just going to be a complete game changer and I really want this to be a game changer for base magazines moving forward and having you guys as part of this journey is really important for me. I really want you to help push this magazine and make a difference you know, to, to base magazines because I think that I'm a real fan of technology and I think that um, with the right support and the right content, we can really just make a difference and make something that's really special, you know, for the entire base community. Now, on top of the annual deal that we've got, we've also got an option where you can get the annual subscription plus the back issue bundle as well, which includes something like I think off the top of my head, 25 or 27 something back issues because obviously iBase has been running before it came into the Scots Base Systems family. They're fantastic issues, guys. They've got some crazy cover, to cover artists. You know, guys like Victor Wooten have been on the cover of iBase magazine. Um, I'm just so over the moon that it's coming into the Scots Base Systems family. I can't, I can't tell you um, how much how, and how excited I really am um, to do this and, and to get this to you guys, you know. Now, these deals are only available for a super, super limited amount of time. So if you don't want to miss it, just go to ibasemag.com and check it, check them out before we pull those down, okay? So ibasemag.com. Now, if you're listening to the podcast on iTunes, I'll send you all of my base love if you subscribe and leave a review, as that really helps us get the word out about these interviews, guys. And I really think there's so much to be learned from listening to great bass players, such as the guests that we have on the show. And if you're listening to this anywhere else other than scottsbasslessons.com, make sure you shoot over to the site and check out the show notes for this episode, as I've put some fantastic videos up. Now, if you're completely new to Scott's Bass Lessons, go to scottsbasslessons.com forward slash toolkit, okay, scottsbasslessons.com forward slash toolkit i put some really cool video resources that you can download on there and check out like a base buyer's guide we've got um, a video where i talk about how to get gigs great gigs wherever you are in the world so if you're moving to a new city or you're trying to break into the scene where you are i'll give you some great tips for that we've got a understanding the modes mini course we've got a backing track library there's loads of stuff in there it's totally free for you to download just go to scottsbasslessons.com forward slash toolkit and also remember if you're an academy member over at scottsbasslessons.com you can watch the entire video version of this interview as well okay we filmed the entire thing as we do with all our podcasts we film all of them and if you're not already an academy member just go and check it out over at scottsbasslessons.com in a nutshell it's the best online learning platform for bass players in the world 
the step-by-step courses, live seminars every week, the largest online-based educational community in the world. And those guys are so, so supportive and tons more, the whole nine yards. And we have a completely free 14-day trial for you as well. So you can take it for a test drive just to see if it's for you. And if you find it isn't, no sweat, you can cancel your account within the click of two buttons. Now, without further ado, let's get into the interview. Hey guys, how's it going? Scott here from the Scott's Bass Lessons podcast again, and I am so over the moon to say that I've got the amazing Cody right on with me today. I am super stoked to have you on, Cody. I have been yeah, checking honor. you. Oh man, I've been checking you out for I don't know, my last two or three years, and for me, really, because. I'm really interested in pick playing on bass. It's something that I've messed around with a ton because I was a guitar player way back when. And and then I saw a video of you online and it kind of just blew my mind, right? So, and we'll get into, I know that you've been playing with, you've been touring like a beast with the uh, Jonathan Scales Orchestra and now you're playing with Eric Gales as well. But if you rewind right back to when you first picked up an instrument, like when was that? I first picked up, wow. Well, first of all, thank you for your, your compliments. And I have to say, you are a monster on the pick too, man. I've heard your stuff. Oh, and man. Right off the bat, I, was, I actually learned some, a couple of little things from you. I can't quite remember what they were, but maybe some wrist pivoting things or something. Because you had picked lessons up back when I started doing it. Really? <laughs> I've been doing it too long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, but yeah, um, I picked up guitar... My dad had an acoustic guitar when I was about nine, yeah. and I tried messing with it, but it wasn't the sound that I really wanted to hear. I wanted rock, you know? And then my nephew got an electric guitar when I was about 13, and it had a distortion button on the amp, you know? And that's when I was like, that's it. That's the sound. <laughs> that's the sound, yeah. So was your dad a guitar player, yeah? Yeah, my dad plays a little guitar and banjo and some flute. And uh, my mom doesn't play any instruments, but she loves all the good stuff that that I consider really iconic, like Steely Dan, even like Stanley Jordan, Stevie Ray Vaughan, stuff like that. My mom turned me on to that stuff. George really? Benson. Wow. Yeah. So it's like that's Django. So it's, that's where I get a lot of my ear from. So, yeah. But, so like good music was just in your family right from the get go. Yeah. So it's a combination of like listening to all that stuff and then having instruments just kind of floating around and boom, it comes together after a while, you know. Um, but I was about 13 when I started playing guitar and probably by the time I was 15, I was playing eight, 10 hours a day. Just just no social life whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah, thing, yeah. you know. <laughs> and what, how, so how old were you then? 15 when you were doing that, yeah. I was 15, I was probably 14 or 15 when I started really grinding and, and just getting consumed and sucked into that world. You know, just like, sitting there, turning the amp on, just sitting there and just jamming. Yeah. Who were your influences back then? It was like Stevie Ray Vaughan, Hendrix, uh, Van Halen, Nuno Betancourt from Extreme. Oh, man, I love Nuno Betancourt's playing. His rhythmical stuff is so cool. He's, some, yeah. he's, got, he's got some serious funk going on, man. Yeah, a lot of that stuff transferred over to bass in terms of like the rhythmic stuff that he was doing. Yeah. You know. <laughs> that's an extreme I mean, riff if anybody's wondering what yeah, it is. That's yeah, a, that's yeah. an extreme riff. That's uh, Cube is Dead. Yeah, yeah. 
But but you know, and then I picked up bass, and you can just you can just play like that, and then all of a sudden you're you're playing with the pick on the bass. But that's just the tip of the iceberg, you know. When did you when did you get into the bass? When did you sort of and have you ever kind of made the switch? I suppose you have, haven't you? You're like you. If I think about you, I know that you play keys and you play guitar. But would yeah. you consider yourself a, like a bass player? Is that where you feel at home? Yeah, at this point, I would say yes because it's the role that I like the most in the music. Yeah, you know, you're just sitting back making everybody else, you know, making room for everybody else to play around, as opposed to when I played guitar, I was I was concentrating on soloing a lot, so I was just kind of like I would be in the shadows and, and until I stepped out and took a solo, and then I went back into the shadows. Yeah, and it's like. You know, maybe playing some chords and stuff, but it's not like laying a bass line down that sets the glue for the groove. You know, that's a really fun, it's a responsibility, but it's a really fun responsibility. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, yeah. So when I started getting comfortable with that after two years, three years after I had started playing bass, um, that's when I started really liking that role. There was a while where I really didn't, I wasn't into it because it was a big step back because I could play all this stuff on guitar. Yeah. You know, and, and then I, I had to just kind of grow a second me that was a bass player. And what, <laughs> why why did you pick up the bass in, in the first place? Um, well, I started playing shows on the bass. I basically picked up the bass in, in 2011, so that's five years ago. Yeah. Um, when I joined Jonathan's band. And I switched from guitar to bass to join that band because I had just graduated college, and I, I really, I knew I, could, I knew I could do it. I knew I could be a musician. Yeah. I just knew I could do it deep down, and I wanted to play guitar with him. But he already had a guitar player, right? So he was like, Are "You play bass with me?" And I was like, "And I was like, okay, you know, let's do this." Really? <laughs> so, That's fantastic. So I, yeah. So I went and, and when I started doing it, it was the hardest thing I ever did, man. It was it was really tough. And because, like you, I said, what, it was like growing a second me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, yeah, because like the role as a bass player, even though there's like huge sim similarities between bass and guitar, like the role itself is it's like a different brain, right? In a way, yeah, you know, big time. And especially in terms of like responsibility within the band and the groove and creating the harmony underneath everything that's going on. Like, what were you doing at college? Did you do music at college or? I was still playing all the time, guitar and piano all the time. I wasn't really playing bass too much in college. I played guitar on the jazz band and I would oftentimes skip lunch to go practice piano because I got really into Art Tatum and I got into just taking like a three second chunk of something Art Tatum did and trying to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, like, you, can was, you do the whole stride thing? I can do, I, I learned little chunks of songs that have that in it. Yeah. But I can't really just go and improvise off of it. Yeah. It has to be like within the context of like maybe a little chunk of Willow Week for me that he did or, or Body and Soul or something that has that in it. Yeah. But yeah, I can't yeah. just go and just freely play it and improvise over it. Crazy stride. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and That's ridiculous. When did you, because when I listen to you playing, I can hear that, like, you absolutely understand the harmony of what's going on, and I can hear that you're, um, you know, you're playing, the, you're playing the, the juicy notes, you know, you're playing the sharp 11s and the flat 9s, and, the, you know, you're using, <laughs> using the diminished stuff. Like when, sexy notes. <laughs> yeah, 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 the sexy, the sexy notes. When did you get into doing that? Was that sort of like, uh, did you get into that as a guitar player? Or, yeah, yeah, you did. I did. I would say yes. Um, it all started out, you know, 
when I would improvise, what I used to do on guitar, I'm talking about 2002, 2001. Yeah. I used to, to have a Casio, a big Casio keyboard yeah. that had rhythm tracks on it. You know, so you could put R&B rhythm and then you could set the key that you wanted it to be. Yeah. You know, so I just do, I have a keyboard over here and then I have my guitar right here and then I just put that on, you know, on like C or whatever. And then I just start soloing to it. And at the time I was really into Van Halen and Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. And, and some Hendrix. So I was just like improvising that kind of Santana, like improvising that kind of stuff over that. Yeah. And then, um, I started getting into, to guys like Jimmy Herring and Wayne Krantz and, there was there were some people that were kind of doing what Stevie Ray did in a way, but then they were adding jazzy things to it. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a guitar player named Chris Kane out of San Jose, California, that was probably my favorite in that regard because he could play this BB King blues on a 335. But then he throwed this like it was like a bebop thing, but you wouldn't even think it was bebop because the way he did it was so smooth and with such bluesy feel that it was just felt like blues. Yeah, yeah. But but it was it was like you know, going down like, you know, maybe something like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. Well, what just happened? You know, but but so I started just weaving those influences into that guitar style, and then you know, I just went down the rabbit hole and started listening to more guys that did stuff like that, like Sean Lane. Sean Lane became a huge favorite of mine. He's probably my favorite guitar player. Yeah, 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 he was a beast, man. I think like Scott Henderson as well had like a huge, like when I listen to Scott Henderson, I hear just like masses of Stevie Ray. That's the cat too. I, that's another guy I was gonna mention. The album Dog Party. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, yeah. He's got that whole Stevie Ray thing, and then he's yeah. got this other, you know, layer of stuff. The tribal tech thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. And with the doghouse thing, he it was like. In, in the context of blues as well. It was like real bluesy, but he was doing his thing over the top of it. So were you transcribing those guys? Were you just like learning the, learning the stuff and then, and, did, and when you were learning the stuff, did it make sense from a, like a theoretical standpoint yet? Or were you just sort of like, oh, wow, that's a cool line, I'll use that? Yeah, I was transcribing... Um, Back in those days, 2001, 2002, 2003, I'm, I would actually pull up tablature and work off of that a little more. Yeah. After that, I started ear just, like I say, earballing it, you know, approximating it. Yeah, yeah. And, and that opens up more doors than, than learning from tablature because yeah, yeah. you're actually left to your own devices at that point and you're left to hone your voice and your sound, whether you know it or not. You might be playing something that Eddie Van Halen played and you think you're doing it exactly the way he did it, and it sounds really close. But then, if you if you finally watch a video after a while, it's like, whoa, he's doing it totally different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in doing that, you're developing your original voice, which I think is really part of what's really important. But for the first couple of years, I was doing a lot of tabs. And um, to answer your question about from a theoretical standpoint, in 2003, I started getting jazz guitar lessons that were basically just theory. You yeah. know, like. This is F major seven. That's a six. You yeah. know, that's what it sounds like. That's a that's a dominant minor seven. You know. So you were just like learning about yeah 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 the diatonic chord sequence and and how sort of like all the chords work within each you know within a key and like the, the good stuff the the stuff that kind of ties everything that we do together right yeah yeah. 
Yeah, that's so, that's it that was in 03. So then after that, that's when it started really just integrating. And I was like 16 then. And that's when it started really integrating uh into all the other stuff that I started to learn. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and I was like, okay, I just learned something that modulates from this to that. You know, and I could actually teach myself that. So it just kind of took off from there. And when and, when you started playing with Jonathan Scales, like when you first picked up the bass, it's so cool that you got that gig and you weren't a bass player. Yeah. I love that. So when you- It was when hard. You, yeah, yeah, I can imagine, yeah, yeah. So you got the bass, like, what What was your first sort of, you know, did you just think to yourself, right, I need to listen to a lot of bass players right now? Yes. And who were you listening to? Well, you're talking about like day one. Okay, I'm gonna be a, the bass player in this band now. Day one. Um, I remember that day. But to to a little backstory, I actually my dad owned a, an electric bass. He was gonna try to play a little bit to back me up when I was a kid. Yeah, and but it never worked out because he was always working too much. Um, so his bass was just sitting in his closet, and I eventually took it when I started recording my own music on my computer using like Audacity or Gold Wave. Yeah, yeah. You know, back in like two thousand one, I would pull this bass out and I just you know I'd do stuff like just play a blues, you know. I was doing that back, you know, back, but I wasn't really a bass player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was just a guitar player, just doing enough on the bass just to back myself up on guitar, and I'd go and just, you know, solo all over that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was doing that, that kind of stuff. And then when I got into my early 20s, I started writing and composing more in depth pieces of music. And I, I pulled out my dad's old bass then and started playing some things under that. And, um, then I started, you know, using some things like basic double stops and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I never really focused actually on being a bass player. Um, I, I I didn't even understand really what that was. I thought, in my opinion, where I was coming from as a guitar player, the bass was just something to play over. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like this guy that kind of plays in the background doesn't get much, like, you know, he just he's there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was you know that was what it was. But I was young, and it was it was a growing process. But when I joined Jonathan's band, um, okay, I'm gonna play bass now, you know. And I took my dad's old bass, and I took a guitar amp, and I started <clears throat> and turned on whatever I thought was groovy on my iPod or my computer, and I just started playing to it. Yeah. In addition to the charts he had sent me, he sent me some charts, and I was working on those and listening to those. There were some videos and stuff. Yeah. And uh, I was listening to, like, there was some Dave, Dave Matthews Band stuff that was groovy. You know, like that song, What Would You Say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love the Dave Matthews Band, yeah. I love the drummer, man. Poof. Yeah. Carter yeah, Hoping. Carter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's such a cool guy, too, man. Have you played with him? No, I never played with him, but I hung out with him. I had, basically had dinner with him. I hung out one time, and it was unbelievable in Amsterdam. And he was just so friendly, man. Very, very giving, friendly person. Yeah, man. I know. That's what it takes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he can lay it down as well. He can lay it down. <laughs> He's got some but serious groove. He's got some serious groove. So that and and uh, I had that album that Greg Howe did with Victor Wooten, but I had got it for Greg Howe because I was into guitar. Yeah. But then I just went back and started listening to what Victor was doing. And it was just like, oh, God. You know? And then um, there's a... 
there's a hip-hop artist named MF Doom. And he released, um, I think he lives in the UK now. And, oh, really? Um, yeah, I think so. I think he, he moved from the States. And he released uh, like a three-disc. No, man, it wasn't three. It was like an eight-disc set of instrumental beats. And he sampled some old R&B and funk stuff in there, man. And I learned some of that. And that was cool. It's called Special Herbs. Special Herbs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> MF Doom, Special Herbs. And I listened to some of those bass lines. And he did things like sample some David Bowie and, and Billy Joel. And, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Things like that. And um, that, this, this was like day one, you know. This was literally on the day that I decided that I was going to become a bass player to play yeah, with Jonathan. Yeah. I'll listen to that stuff and just like, okay, this is, I'm going to do this, you know. And there was a point where I was going to ditch the pit completely. I was, just gonna, Matt, I was going to ask you about that. I was going to say, was there a moment where you just you looked at everybody playing and you thought, okay, the lion's share of bass players are playing with fingers. I'll play with my fingers. And, yeah. and, and how, long, how long was that consideration for? Um, let's see. It, was, it wasn't like full-blown, I'm going to quit. But it was like very heavily considering it. All the way, basically, until I saw Bobby Vega for the first time, yeah. which was probably a month or so in, a month or month or two in, to when I said, okay, I'm going to become a bass player. Yeah. That's when I saw Bobby, a video of Bobby. Um, a good buddy of mine here in Asheville said, man, if you're going to play with the pick, you have to check this cat out. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, was, that was the end for me. That's when I said, okay, I can do that. Because really, it's a tone and feel thing. That's the elusive thing about it that a lot of people, because it's not, it looks easy when you're just, when I'm just holding it and I've been doing it forever and I'm just holding it and I'm doing that and, yeah. and it just looks easy. But then you go try to do it. It's just like me when I would try to do that, it comes out sounding like I'm beating on the bass with a hammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's just the same as that. It's a matter of focusing on tone and feel rather than focusing like a guitar player on getting fast and clean, you know. You just focus on getting good tone and feel out of it. And it's just like anything else, you know. Was there any specific exercises that you were using when you first started playing bass to kind of get, you know, to get that, to work on your tone and feel? Yeah. Um, just, I kind of, how I hold it, I choke up on it, you know, quite a bit. That's yeah. about how much I have. Yeah. And sometimes I'll mute here. Um but that all just kind of comes if you just focus on the groove and, and time. So, yeah, the, the main exercise that I probably stressed that I did a lot was the basic backbone for, like, you know, a lot of, a lot of the funk stuff is just, like... Or without notes. It's almost like a drum pattern. Yeah, yeah. You know? And just that, just getting that really relaxed and not, and working on eliminating tension that I might feel in my arm, you know, or in, anywhere, really, and just breathe normally. Because I'd be playing that stuff back then, I'd be listening to Bobby do something like that, and I'd be playing it, and I'd be going, and I'm like, oh man, why does it sound like that? You yeah, know, it's because yeah. I, was, I was tense, because I wasn't, I was ready to just go into warp speed yeah yeah <laughs> you know to play a solo <laughs> and that was like what i've been used to for 13 years you know so it's a whole different 
thing. It was really, it was really hard. But then when I listened back to Bobby, I, I would like do things like I wouldn't listen to Bobby for a week, and I'd work on something like that. And I'm thinking in my head, okay, I'm almost as good as him now, you know? Yeah, yeah, And then yeah, I yeah. go back and listen, and it's just like, oh, no. Yeah, but, like, you've obviously, like, really studied his style, right? And, like, I've watched a ton of Bobby Vega. He has just got, like, there's something so... When you talk about tone and feel with the pick, it's just, it's that, isn't it? You know, he's just got it in spades. He's got bucket loads of tone and feel. And he can just, you know... Like, were you transcribing his stuff? Were you learning his lines and trying to... Just to get kind of a... Like a handle on the technique that you'd, you'd need to use. Yeah, I was. I had, from guitar, I already completely had the technique, per se, in soloing chops. Yeah, you could, you could shred and you had yeah. the actual... Like yeah, I could already... I could already do stuff like that on day one of yeah. bass. But I could not do... Get just, that feel and, down, and yeah, yeah. Play yeah, it yeah. really relaxed without any tension at all. I could not do that. So that's that took years. Um, but yeah, there was there was a bunch of stuff from Bobby that I that I just completely copied and, and took things from, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's that track called? It's on um, YouTube, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's gosh. Gosh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Capital, capital G O S H, isn't it? Yeah, 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 Gosh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, when he I heard that, ah. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. It just blew me away. Yeah. It's just, just all that greasy, greasy, <laughs> greasy stuff. It's so good. And were you trying to get that? Because obviously, like, you heard Bobby Vega. Um, you know, in the first, was it the first few months of when you were playing bass? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it probably about a month, a month and a half in, uh, a friend of mine in Asheville showed me, just basically t- told me his name and said, look him up. Check him out so on I, YouTube, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went and looked him up, and I think the first thing I ever saw was, there's a video, he's going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's doing all of the fingers. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I heard that, and I was just like, "That's what I want to do." Yeah. Well, when you when you saw that, and when you start, is that something that you? immediately tried to get into your style and trying to get into the band that you're playing, into the Jonathan Scales Orchestra, were you like, that's the sound that I want to recreate and bring into, into the band? It was. Um, it, it just completely turned the light on for me. And, and that was the day that I, that I decided that I was going to keep using the pick and I wasn't going to switch. Because it took me, you know, 14 years to get where I was technique-wise. Anyway, I yeah, didn't want to yeah, have to throw yeah. it away. Yeah, absolutely. I was ready to throw it away if I had to, you know. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't. Man, well, it obviously worked out for you. <laughs> because that's why, like, if anybody mentions Cody Wright, I, mean, I assume everybody, you know, it's that, I, I just, you know, for me, it's that, it's that funk. You've got a really, really greasy funk feel. And you've also got the turbo chops as well that were... <laughs> 
obviously like developed when you were a, a guitar player, you know. And, and, and a lot of the harmony, like when you, when you solo on the bass, do you think, do you attribute a lot of the guitar playing to the, the harmony choices that you use? So not technique wise, because I obviously like soloing, the way you solo is sort of like, there's definitely like that guitar influence. But like harmony choices, was that kind of, did you get a lot of that down on guitar and then take that to the bass? Yeah, um, yeah, almost completely. Really, um, yeah. Because, you know, you have more strings, more notes. It's easier to just bar a chord and you'll not only hear a six, you know, you'll hear like a six, a nine, a seven, sometimes in the same shape. Yeah. You, so you're, you're immediately getting more in tune to like all these different kinds of voicings and what, what is a minor within the chord, what is a major within the chord kind of thing. And um, I really... Listening and studying a lot of Nudo Betancourt when I was like 15 yeah. was was the real bridge for me to start playing things that were more harmonically advanced than Stevie Ray Vaughan and Jimi Hendrix and Van Halen. Yeah. Because, um, you know, he, he in Cupid's Dead, you know, I was like 15, I learned Cupid's Dead, you know. Uh, there's a part in it where he goes, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I love that. That's one of my favorite rock albums, man. That just three sides to every story. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. It's probably my favorite rock album for a guitar. It's probably. I mean, I cried so many times to that album, man. It's 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 like the work that the work that went into that album, man. Like <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, and they were so young when they did that as well. Like yeah, the orchestrations like, at the end, and this was ah, uh, yeah. The first time I heard that, it's well when I first when I got the album. I think it's like, it, it was old school still, you know, there wasn't really, when I first got that album, it wasn't, you know, there was no YouTube, it was like, you know, you buy the CD and you listen to the CD for like, you know, three months non-stop and then you... That was buy, me, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you get your guitar out and you shed it and you learn every single tune on it and then every, and that's what I did, you know. Same. Yeah. <laughs> I got that record in 2001. When did it yeah. come out? When did the actual 90, album... 92. Was it 92? Wow. Yeah, it came out in December 92. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, phenomenal. Well, I was six. <laughs> you were six. Yeah. <laughs> How old are you I'm now? Tw I'm 29. You're 29. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Get ready for yeah. the big three O, man. <laughs> it's coming like a freight train, man. <laughs> no, man, 30's cool. 30 is where it's at. I'm heading for 40. Now, I'm not sure that 40 is where it's at. I've probably offended sort of like two-thirds of the audience there. So if you're 40 <laughs> or above, I do apologise. But soon I'll be 40 and then, you know, I'll just be offending 50-year-olds. And above. Hey, I think you're doing just fine, man. <laughs> <laughs> but when you were like, you know, when you were playing with like Jonathan Scales, like when did you feel like you'd... When did you feel like you bridged the gap between guitar and bass and you thought to yourself, actually, I've got this down now. I feel like a bass player. I'm confident with what I'm doing. When, how long did you play with that band until you felt that? It was probably, uh, it's probably about two years. And, and at that point, probably played about 220 shows, 200, 220 shows. Yeah. Um, it was about probably about two years in. And what did it was... I would always record everything and listen back to it trying to get better. But sometimes it would really break my heart because I would just not sound like a bass player yet. You know, for a year, a year yeah. and a half, still sounded like a guitar player. 
off in his own world, not really listening to the drums. And in early 2013, I started recording some of the shows we were doing, and I started noticing that I was actually really listening and locking in with stuff that was going on around me yeah. without having to think about it anymore. Yeah, and yeah. that's when I said, all right, this is cool. Yeah. And that, that was around the time we did the Stable ses Sessions video for um, TNFJ, which I played that Bobby Vega riff in that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did that in one of the Forkestra songs, and, and it was in a barn, and everybody, you know, that, that video, people really liked that. And that was like a kind of a, a, a nice wake-up call for me. And it's like, okay, I could actually do this. Yeah, it's, worked, it's working out. It's working out. When you yeah. were, like, through those years, like, well, not even, like, I'm sure you do it now, but what bass players were you transcribing other than Bobby? Like, who else was really kind of shining for you where you were just like, oh, I've got to get that bit down. I've got to get this thing down. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a really good question, actually. Um, O'Teal, definitely O'Teal um, in every way, you know, in, in terms of the grooves and uh, the soloing. Yeah. And even to this day, he, I've heard him do, I still recently hear him do some stuff that I just don't even, I can't even wrap my brain around what he was Man, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like completely flips your idea of harmony and melody upside down and makes it work. Yeah, yeah. The guy's just a madman. Um, but also, I got the record Philadelphia Experiment with Questlove and Yuri Kane and yeah. Christian McBride. Yeah, I've got that. It's a great, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're all from Philadelphia. Man. That's an old record. Yeah, well, not, yeah, it's not old. It's not like Charlie Parker, but that was 90s as well, I think, or early 2000s, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was like, it was early 2000s or something. And um, there was a song on there called Ain't It The Truth. And um, that showed me a lot about what it means to blend with the drums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the concept of blending that I didn't understand when I was still in guitar brain. Yeah. Blending is, is where you are still having just as much fun. And that's, that's a thing that I, want, I would like to really stress to anyone considering switching from guitar to bass. Oh, I'm not going to be playing as many notes. It's not going to be as fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it could be more fun. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It is more fun for me because it's not like so on the spot. It's just unless you're taking a solo or if you're by yourself soloing to a looper or something, that's on the spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That stuff is hard to do, but backing up a band, you can blend. You can you can you know fall back into the fold. You just have to to as you're playing, just kind of be conscious of the greater sound you're creating and not, um, you know, just I want my tone to be good and, and to me because if your tone your tone might be really good before the band starts to play and then once the band starts to play, you can't hear your highs anymore or you have too many highs. Yeah, yeah. You know stuff like that. So it's just a matter of integrating your sound with what everyone else is, and that becomes really fun. And was it that specific track that kind of opened you up to that blending idea that McBride was playing on? That was one of them. Yeah. That was one of them. Um, also, uh, and this is, this is a big one for me, was the album uh, Hidden Land by Bela Fleck and the Flecktones. Yeah, 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 yeah. That came out in 06. And, and hearing the stuff that Victor did, and the way his bass was mixed behind everyone. His bass is, is lower in the mix than on, say, like Rocket Science, one of their later records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, where it's real out there. And I like that record too. 
But something about Hidden Land also inspired me with the blending thing, you know, because he could step out up front and, and, you know, play these ridiculous bass solos and then fall back and still be really clever and active and so precise time-wise, but, but blend and make the music have more impact. Yeah, like like I really like I love listening to Victor. Like obviously he's a freak show. He's so good, mm-hmm. I, but I love listening to him just playing bass as well. You know, just like doing that thing. And I think, have you heard the album where he plays with Scott Henderson and Steve Smith? Uh, VTT. Yeah. V- Vital Tech Tones. Yeah. I have it. I think I might have listened to like two songs on it. Man, like there's some great tracks on that, and and just. Hearing him and Scott Henderson play off each other. And he's got, and it's a different side. It's, it's a different side to Victor Wooten. It's not the, the thumb. It's not the, you know, that thing. He's playing, you know, he's just playing bass, but he's just, he's just killing like it. Yeah, and he's got like a real, real command of rhythm as well. Like he's got, you know, he's just got that. He's just something really fundamentally funky about what he's doing. He's so funky. I don't have you heard the stuff he did with Carter Beaufort? Uh, yeah, I, I watched some of those videos. Yeah, they, yeah. They did that, a couple sessions together on video. Yeah, yeah. And I think sort of like, again, like there's some, that, that bass playing side comes out. And it, in them specific videos, he does some great stuff with the time as well, where he's like layering six over the four and then, you know, and then, you know, mixing it yeah. all. Like, is that something you've done? Have you looked into, you know, layering different time signatures and... Well, not time signatures, but you know, sort of like polyrhythmic. Yeah, different types, different rhythmic feels that feeling the three over the four. Yeah. yeah and, and the thing about me is I can't really explain theoretically oftentimes exactly what I'm doing unless I really slow it down. Because I can just go into full speed just playing this stuff that people are like, well, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't even know. I'm just playing. It that. just feels good. I like that. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's good to me, you know. Um, Victor. I'll say one more thing about him. Um, I actually had the chance to, to, he sat in with the orchestra after I had been playing bass a year in 2012. And um, I remember he sat in and we had a trade. There's a video of it somewhere. We, wow. we traded back and forth on solos. And what I remember was how relaxed everything was when that was going down, although it was crazy that it was happening. Yeah. I just remember just relaxing and enjoying the music. I was actually more nervous when he was over there and on the side watching than I was when he was on stage. Yeah, yeah. Because the energy was very relaxed unless I'm an equal to y'all kind of thing. Yeah. I'm an equal to you guys. I'm just here to just just make music more fun, you know, for everybody. <laughs> really great experience, yeah. It was it was really awesome, yeah. And and so that was something I actually learned from him, you know, right there. And then we got to see the Flectones play later that day you know, from the side of the stage, you know, 10, 20 feet away. Yeah. And was it a similar vibe? Like, do you think he's got, he's got a, do you think he's just got something in his personality that is sort of like quite a calming, calming vibe? Like I've met him and, and I thought and, and seen him play and it did, it did seem sort of like there was, there was intensity there, but it was also like super chilled. And even though he could yeah. play a zillion notes an hour, there was mm-hmm. always that like real strong rhythm there, and he was all always in the pocket, you know, always in the pocket. That is always in the pocket. It's like a machine, and that's the thing to pay attention to. That tells me a lot about somebody's um, center, you know, the concept of center, being able to just, if you start to get excited or nervous or, or anything, 
be able to just come back into that center, you know, and just play the rhythms and play the bass and play to the drummer. Is it something that, that you've been, yeah. Is it something that you've been aware of and, and, and like concentrated on, like sitting in that pocket? Yeah, that, that's, that really is, is, I try to make that my whole life now every time I'm playing yeah. anywhere. And I find it's hard because I got two brains in a way. I have guitar player brain, which is harmonically and melodically active. Yeah. And then I have bass player brain, which if you really focus only on your rhythmic phrases and your ideas, you can, you can really, you start playing stuff melodically and harmonically that you didn't even know you could do. Yeah, yeah. But being a guitar player... I have to go back to consciously thinking about playing all that harmonic melodic stuff. And then I'll, all of a sudden I'm playing all the stuff that I normally play. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I'm not taking a chance anymore. Can you, know? you switch while you're playing bass between the two? Yeah. I guess so. It doesn't, I'm not aware of it. You know, it's not like, okay, I'm playing guitar now. <laughs> <laughs> Change gear. <laughs> Click. Yeah, get you the know. chops out. <laughs> I got a little switch on my headphones here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, when I do watch you soloing, like some of your, some of the picking is ferocious, man. It's like, are you doing, is it alternate or is it, is it called hybrid where you go sort of like, you know, where you kind of rake down, down, up, down. up, up, down. Yeah, I, I'm doing a combination of those. For a lot of triplets, I'll use the uh, hybrid picking. Actually, Technically, hybrid picking is where you use your middle finger. Yeah, it, I, I, yeah, I used the wrong term. What's the what's the term? What, what's the Econ term where you? What's it called? Economy. Economy picking. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frank Gambale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frank Gambale. Yeah. So, do you use that's that? Another influence of mine too, by the way. <laughs> Who Frank Gambale? Yeah, he's a beast, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, big yeah. time. Is that uh, something yeah, you use? Then? Yeah. Um. So you know, we'll take a triplet. Uh, or actually let's take let's take these four notes so um it's basically i'm thinking an e minor pentatonic yeah. so i'm i'm going with the pick down up up down yeah yeah and left hand is going 14 on the g 12 on the g 14 on the d 12 on the d yeah you know, then I'll turn that into a lick or something like that. You know, that's really a lot of the time that when I use either sweeping or economy picking, it's just on licks like that. There's another lick I do where I'll do three strings, something like that. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. it's hard. And that was. Was I was trying to? I heard Victor do something really crazy on a Flectones CD, and I just was like, I have to do something that crazy, <laughs> or yeah. else I'm just not as good. Yeah, I'm, I'm a lesser human if I can't do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when you do it as well, you really dig in, don't you? Yeah. Um, for those kinds of things, it'll sound more like a thumb if you if you play right near the above the pickups, right near the fretboard. Yeah. Like that. Right. Even when you're just riffing, you know, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll sound more like a thumb as opposed to if you go down here. 
It's a little harder to do the economy things when you're picking way down near the bridge because of the tension. Yeah, where do you generally, like, is this sort of like a zone where your hand kind of falls? Or are you constantly moving back and forward? Yeah, there's, there is a zone. It's, I guess it's basically to where my palm is like right where the saddle's in. Got you, yeah. I guess that's, that's kind of like my zone. And I just, yeah. I just casually rest my hand there just lightly. It's not like a conscious thing. I try to just be as relaxed as I can when I'm tracking, like for my album, when I'm tracking, I try to just relax as much as I can so I can just not be tense and yeah. so I can play in time, you know. Oh, and, and that's why you, sometimes I'll be, I won't, I won't even be smiling, man. I'll just, <laughs> I'm just trying to completely relax my body. You've got like a slack face. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. it. <laughs> um, do, and when you're picking, like I heard, so, I heard somebody, I'm trying to get tips from you here, man. Like I heard a guitar player talking about this the other day. Like downward, how did he, he said he was angling his pick when he was playing. Do you angle your pick? Um, I, I don't really, um, it's probably, it's probably a little angled. It's probably like, so it's not hitting it dead on. It's like, there's a little bit of an angle to it. Yeah. It's, it's probably like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Instead of being like straight on like that, it's probably like that. Just to give it a little bit more, I suppose it just, he was saying that it's, there's a term, I can't remember what the term he used for it, but he said it just sort of like, it creates less friction as it moves over the, over the string. There is a, um, there's a, I think it's a lesson, there's a video lesson with Sean Lane called Power Licks. And he talks about how he picks and now he does, I mean, he goes straight up like sideways. Oh, sideways. Yeah, like he's all the way angled that way when he plays. And if you watch, that's why his hand looks like that when he plays. It looks like this. Because he, he wants this, the pick to just, like, it glides over the string without making much of a pick sound. God, but he, yeah. can, he can change it to, to make it sound more like a pick. Now you, you compare that with someone like Eric Gales, who, who is, is always pretty much flat up against the string. You can hear a lot of pick attack in what he does. Yeah. And he uses the fat the the back side of the pick, you know. So he has a lot of pick sound. Like so, you're you're playing with Eric now, right? Mm-hmm. Like how did mm-hmm. that come about then? Where was the hookup and when's the tour happening and all those shenanigans? <laughs> tour starts on our first date is on June second in um Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And uh, we're actually coming over to Europe in July, starting on the fifteenth. We're over there just for you know, maybe a week or so. Yeah. Um, but I became friends with Eric's bass player two years ago, two and a half years ago at NAM. Orlando. He used to be his bass player. Yeah. And Orlando is like one of the most monstrous players. I did a riff. I did a video recently that uh, had a riff in it like... Something like that. Yeah. There's something like that, and I got that from Orlando. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He could play it way better, you know. But um, just a wonderful, wonderful player, and we just, you know, kicked it off, you know, just hit it off with each other. And he started showing Eric videos of me, you know, yeah, here and there. I've been listening to Eric since I was 16 because he was like, you know, the next – Stevie Ray, Jimi Hendrix kind of kid. He's a monster, man, isn't he? Yeah, I was going to say, sort of like, for anybody that likes, that hasn't heard Eric Gales, obviously check him out on YouTube. 
Gales, yeah. But he's like that, that you know, he's, he's just got all the Stevie Ray, he's got the Jimi Hendrix, and he's just got bags of attitude with it, you know. Eric Johnson, yeah. Oh, man, but I love Eric Johnson. Oh, I'm a huge yeah, but, Eric but Johnson Eric, fan. Eric Gales has a lot of Eric Johnson things going on, too. Yeah. It's crazy, man. Like, But, so, you know, long story short, I reached out to him at one point, and I said I'd love to play with him. You know, if it ever came down to it, just, you know, been listening to him forever. Yeah. And Orlando had been showing him videos of me. And it just worked out that I found out about a show they were doing in, in North Carolina here and I wanted to come to it. And and then he, I told I told him and his wife that I was going to come and they said, bring your bass. So I brought my bass and I ended up sitting in our voodoo child. And there's a video of that. <laughs> you know, Wicked. that was the first time I ever played with him. That was the first time you ever played with him. That oh, wow, that video. I'll stick it in the show yeah. notes, guys. It'll be in the show notes so you can check it out. Yeah, that was the, that was the first time, and and then that just you know, I kept in touch, and, and they were really super sweet and nice, and kept in touch. And then earlier this year, I got um, I went down to Mexico with them and played a show at a, at a festival in Mexico, and then I went to Florida, played a blues festival down there, and and uh, now we're gonna go and in, in tour the states, and and it's just. Like a dream come true, it really is. Yeah, man, it must be amazing to sort of like end up playing with somebody that you've been listening to for years, right? <laughs> you, know? you can do it if it's what you really want to do. You can do it. Absolutely, you man. Just have to love that music first. You can't say I want to do it because I want to get famous or I want to do it to make money. <laughs> Obviously, you, <know? laughs> yeah, yeah. you have to love the music. Yeah, there's a lot of jokes about musicians and money, isn't it? What, what's yeah. that? There's a great joke: how to make how to make money at music. Stop, stop playing music or something <laughs> like that. I can't remember what. I think it's, it's something way better than that, but it's something around them lines. Um, mm. So, like, you're going on, but you've got your own thing going on as well, haven't you? You've got your own album that's sort of like you're working on right now. Yeah, um, it's, it's painstaking. I'm, I'm really being meticulous because, you know, I'm just that kind of person. With Jonathan's music, I didn't really have much of a chance to really put my roots down like that. And get in there and work up all kinds of harmonies and, and count, counter things and contrary motion and, yeah. and stuff happening. And but on this CD, I'm actually, you know, I've been getting a lot better in the time that I haven't been playing live. I've been getting a lot better at the recording process. Like, what 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 kind of instrumentation's on there? It's um, drums, uh, all four string bass, fretted, and um, I'm playing guitar on a couple songs. I'm playing electric. I have a, a Telecaster and a Strat, yeah. and I'm kind of switching back and forth between those. I'm taking some guitar solos. I have a, um, a keyboard player buddy of mine um, playing on at least one tune. I'll probably get him on some other songs, yeah. and I'll probably have some other special guests uh, on there too, maybe some horns. Um, I'm going to get all my stuff laid down before I really decide what kind of instrumentation I want, Got you, yeah. but I also want to get this thing out you know, pretty soon. <laughs> It's tough. It, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Um, it's, I think it's, when it's your thing, it's mm -hmm. so much, it, it's so much harder than when it's somebody else's thing because you've got the reins. If somebody, if somebody else has got the reins and they're kind of driving the car or whatever, you, you know, it's cool because you do, you stay in your lane and you do your thing. But, right. when, but when you're driving the car, when you've got the reins, you know, it's tough because there's like so many more choices to make. Yeah, that's the thing. There's decisions. You have to get good at making decisions. Sometimes you don't know if it's going to be the right or wrong decision. And sometimes you might not ever even know if it was or not. But you just have to make the decision 
instead of just letting the track just sit there and, and it's not done. Yeah, I had, I had a, a, the same conversation with Gary Willis, you know, from Tribal Tech. Um, oh, yeah. I studied with him when, in my, my like mid-20s and over in Barcelona. And I can remember talking to him specifically about composition. And I said, how do you know when it's done? Because he's done some great tracks, man. I was like, but yeah, how, necessary how do you know blonde. when it's done? And he was like, you never know it's done. He said, you've just got to take, you know, you've just got to, he said, you've kind of got to let, you've got to let go of the perfection and just let it be, you know. He said, because right. you might listen to it one day and think, oh, that could change a little bit. And then, but then he said, you'll listen to it another day and you'll think, oh yeah, no, that was good. So he said, it sort of floats back and forward. So I think it's a, and I think being a, when you were creative, you know, and into making music, it, it's so hard for you to, like, make that final decision. Especially, like, if you're into improvisation, I think it, it's like a... It's the opposite of in, improvisation, isn't it? You don't want anything to be final. You want it to be movable and moldable. And, yeah. and when you're composing and there has to be that final, this is it. Man, that's, yeah. it's got to be tough, right? Have you found that, that, that the whole process quite tough? It is extremely tough, and it, it often depends on the song, too. Um, like some songs, like for example, I'm right now I'm working on finishing up my song "Lone Wolf," which is a really important piece to me. It means a lot to me. Yeah. And when something has that kind of emotional meaning to you, that's when you really get, you know, <laughs> the fine tooth comb out and go in there. And I'm doing things on that song, like you know, I'll tune my bass up one and a half steps to get that high you know, B flat on the G string on yeah. harmony and then I'll do like a volume swell and do that on the whole track or like tune down, you know, drop it down to C sharp and yeah. you know, do something down there. And and then or do a melody where the whole melody are notes that are bent into the note. Yeah. And it's yeah, not yeah, just yeah, hitting yeah. the note. It's a you know, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. getting that those pitches just right and things like that. Sometimes adding a harmonic on top of those. You know. Yeah, yeah. What kind of vibes the what kind of vibes the album gonna be? It's gonna be very groovy. It's gonna emotionally it's gonna kinda be a roller coaster. There's gonna be moments where it's really groovy and happy and bouncy. And there's gonna be moments where it's very contemplative, sometimes dark. Um it's not gonna be, you know, depressing, but it's just gonna be, you know, thought provoking. Yeah, yeah. And and I like to use a lot of really dense harmony, especially in my song Lone Wolf. It depends on, on, you know, how much sonic space is there to use. Yeah, yeah. You can't just go throw a whole bunch of harmony on something just because you want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I learned that the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, are you approaching it in kind of, like you're approaching it in, in an album sense? You're trying to create a, an experience throughout the album instead of just random tunes that like, here's a cool thing, here's a cool thing. You're try, actually trying to shape the album as a whole, yeah. It's a mix of both of those. It kind of starts out as here's a cool thing, here's a cool thing, but then you you just get an idea of the trajectory you want to have. Um, oh yeah, one thing I did want to say one more thing about the process of deciding if something is going to be final or not. Oh yeah, it's I have been going more towards how I feel when I hear it emotionally. If it if it just makes and it's not you don't have to even try. You can be doing something else and have your music playing. You can be cleaning your room. You have your music playing, and the part comes that you were just working on, and then you feel real good when you hear it, and you're just like, yeah, that's it. 
that's all it takes and you might not have played it as cleanly as the one before yeah 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 you feel just better in your gut about it that's the one to keep because that's the reaction that people the fans that listen to it will have too yeah 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 you that's mean, what I, that's what i think yeah you kind of you know you're focusing on the emotion response as well as the actual like harmonic you know content and and like how well you played it i think it's tough that isn't it sometimes you don't play it as well but no nope. That's the one that you need to keep because there's something, it has that extra, adds a special sauce or whatever in it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a strange phenomenon, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of like acting, and I've never done acting or anything, but I can imagine where someone has a line and they say it a certain way and then the producer's like, that doesn't quite have the meaning that I want it to have yet. Yeah, do it again, yeah, you know, yeah. and then you do it again and do it again and then... Maybe it was one time where you're not even thinking about doing it, and you do it right. And you nail it, yeah. You nail it. You nail the vibe that the producer was hearing in it. And so that same kind of thing, except you're your own producer, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's the, yeah, that's <laughs> the problem, isn't it? You're, you're the producer <laughs> and the actor at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. In terms mm-hmm. of, because I, I always miss out the gear thing. I've been telling myself every interview we do for the podcast, ask about the, everybody always asks, what about the gear? So, what gear are you using? Obviously, you've got like the Zon bass, right? Mm-hmm. This is my main Zon. It's a Sonus Special. Uh, it started out as a '98 and uh, or '97, and um, it's got the old Bartolini multi coils in it that they don't make anymore. And did, you, did you cho- the, did you choose them? Were they your choice? Yeah, I just I got this bass used. Um, I had went to Zon 2014 as a Ken Smith artist. Yeah. And I was always looking for, basically I found out what I was looking for was a narrower neck and graphite. Yeah. You know, and, and once I played a Zon, I realized that's what I was really looking for. And I bought this bass used sight unseen. I hadn't ever even played it. I got it off of a top bass. Oh, really? Yeah. Just I got it off a top bass. Cross your fingers and hoped for it. <laughs> yeah. Shot in the dark. And, the guy that was selling it on the post, he's, he he had he had pulled it a couple times. He's like, I just my heart can't do this. I got I got to pull it. And I saw that I was like, this is probably a really good base. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I got it, you know. And sure enough, it was better than the Zon than than the bases that I had played at the Nam show because yeah. it it had it already had thirty five to ninety five strings on it and everything. It's just like basically played just like this when I got it. You and know? do you have your action quite low or? Yeah, I do. Um, I guess you can see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see it's it's really low. I like to have it to where when I'm doing tapping stuff, that I can just have a lot of control of the notes. That's why I use 35s on top. Right. I want to be able to get a whole step bend with just my index. Yeah. All that vibrato and stuff. Have you ever um, thought about playing a five string? I have. I owned one, and I put a high. I actually put a high B on it, like guitar. Oh, like a guitar? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had a high B on it, and um, at the time, I didn't. I tried to play a show with it, like two days after I got it, and it was a Ken Smith, and um, it it my reference points were just kind of gone. Like I'm used to to knowing that the top <laughs> yeah, string is yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, sounds yeah. like that. And that wasn't the same anymore. And, and we were in the middle of a tour, and it was just like, this is, is it really going to work? <laughs> yeah. So I sold it. Um, but I will have one one day again, too. I, I, I love a Zahn, um, Zahn makes the Vinny headless basses. 
I would love to get one of those. It's like a travel base that they made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've seen them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Mamring has a really nice burrow top one. Yeah, that's right. I have seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. He's got that crazy. What's that base he put? The hyper base. Hyper base. Have you yeah. seen that? Oh my word. <laughs> seen that. What is it going? <laughs> if anybody hasn't seen the hyper base, it's how would you describe it? It's, like it's a, a it's a four string fretless, but it's extended range. You know, I don't know how far up. A long way. <laughs> a long way. And it's got uh it's got hip shot detuners like this one here. On all the all the tuners, and he's got the uh, he's got the D tuners on the bridge as well, hasn't he? I think I think there's man, there's so much going on with that bass. There's there's some things like that too. I think he's got eight D like this is like the, I, I could be spreading lies here. Guns. There's a lot going on it on it. Yeah, he does that. What's the tune called that everybody talks the, about? The, the something room. Enormous room. Enormous room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If it. you haven't checked that out, guys, you check it out because it's frightening the first time i heard it i just couldn't believe my eyes actually but it's just you know freaky do you use your detuner much or not sometimes if i'm in jams um or at the ends of songs if the song is in d and you want that big low d yeah at the very end of the tune you know <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> i don't know not exactly that, but something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think for the E flat as well. Sometimes I think you know when I'm playing. Sometimes I'm like man, I'd lo I'd love to get to get that E flat. Yeah, and and that's the cool thing about these hip shots is you can you can actually tune them to to go down to E flat or or C sharp. Oh, can you actually tune them to go down mm -hmm. to different? Yeah, it has a little thing. If you can see it, there's oh yeah, a it's little, like a little grub screw, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that little thing with J right there. Yeah. So that, that actually that alters the amount that it tunes down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you have to do it to a tuner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> you have to do it with the tuner otherwise. I mean, you might think you have it, and then it's just a little weird. It doesn't really sit right with the other streams. When, when, you, so, when, you, put, when you actually put it on or off, or whatever you want to call it, let's say when you put it off, so it's like an open D, yeah. when like you that. put it back up, is it always like completely in tune? Pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. I haven't really, if your strings are newer, you might have a little bit of stretching going on. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But most of the time I've used it, no problem. But I always have tuners, you know, I always have a tuner in my board. Uh, what, what's on your board, actually? What I have, are you um, using? if I had it right here, I'd show you. I use a, a TC Ditto X2 uh, looper. Those guys right there. Oh, yeah. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait just a minute. <laughs> Wait just a minute. You got one around there somewhere too. One of these little things. <laughs> uh -oh, how'd you do that? <laughs> this is my favorite super because it lets you stop the loop with one click. The Man, they're awesome, aren't they? Yeah, the regular data, you have to hit it twice to stop it. And so I have that and I have um, an Aguilar optimizer. Uh, little red dude here. Yeah. I tried oh, the, yeah, the yeah, yeah. other ones. That one has a nice grind and growl. Not distortion, but like it just, it really pushes. It sounds like your, your speakers just got twice the, the bass or yeah, output. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aguilar, Aguilar are doing some great pedals. MXR are doing some great pedals as well now. Do you know Daryl? 
you know Daryl from uh, yeah, that's, MXR? That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say I'm I'm proudly an MXR artist, and I have um actually my favorite pedal is the bass envelope by yeah, MXR. Yeah, yeah, it's a great pedal. Yeah, it's a great pedal. Yeah. That's that's my favorite one, especially for doing the video game Toe Jam and Earl that I was doing. Oh yeah, because you're doing this video game as well, aren't you? Yeah. Are you finished yeah. it yet? Are you, have I, you? I finished. I finished my parts. I played keyboard drums on a bunch of the songs, and I played some keyboards on some songs, and some guitar and then bass on all of them. We did about twenty six tunes. Was it and a lot of work? That, yeah. Hmm? Was it a lot of work? It was a lot of work. <laughs> I started a year ago. Serious. Yeah. Wow. So I just want to say huge thanks for coming in and hanging, hanging out with us today. Um, all the links for your website and your Facebook and all those shenanigans, I will put in the links below the, uh, in the show notes. Just huge thanks to Cody Wright. Dude, you're an absolute star. Cheers, guys. Bye. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Cody. Again, I'll put all the you know website links, Facebook links. I've got videos of Cody playing with the Jonathan Scales Orchestra and Eric Gale's band. All of those will be on the show notes, okay, for this episode. So just go to scottsbasslessons.com forward slash episode 31, and that's the number 31. Okay, so scottsbasslessons.com forward slash episode 31 and you can check out all the videos and the links to his site and things like that and remember if you're an academy member not only can you watch the video version of that interview as well as you can with all our interviews we we film them all so not only can you watch the actual interview you can also check out cody's seminar that he did a few months ago for the academy members it's in the seminar archive um we organized for cody to do a live stream seminar for all the academy members where he talked about his specific picking technique, the exercises he, he's been using to develop his technique, all those shenanigans, and he answered a ton of questions as well from Academy members. That's in the seminar archive, guys. So if you are an Academy member, just log into your account, go to the seminars, and you'll find Cody's one hour, I think it's actually over one hour, one hour seminar in there. And remember, guys, if you're not an Academy member, just go over to scottsbassessence.com, check it out. In a nutshell, it's the best online learning platform for bass players in the world step-by-step courses live seminars every week with some of the best bass educators in the world the largest online bass educational community in the world and heaps more and on top of that you can try it completely free for 14 days just to see if it's for you now again thanks again for listening guys next week we have got the one the only danny mo morris joining us danny is one of my favorite bass players He's one of my favorite human beings. I found Danny. Well, I didn't find Danny. I found one of his videos on YouTube um, about maybe three years, two or three years ago. It blew me away. I was just so into his groove, his feel, his vibe. He's got that real old school R&B, James Jameson, Duck Dunn, that kind of thing. Okay, that vibe. But he was killing it. So I reached out to Danny. This was like two years ago or something like that. And since then, we've become great friends. He has done um, countless live stream seminars for all the guys in the Academy. So again, that's in the seminar archive, guys. If you're an Academy member and you want to check that out, just go to your account, seminars, check out Danny's Danny's uh, seminars that he's recorded for you. Um, and he's recorded a course for the Academy. We've published his own boot camp. 
um, through Scott's bass lessons. And it's just a, re- a real, real honour to have him as part of what we do. He's been um, one of the longest serving faculty members at this prestigious Berklee College of Music. He started teaching there in 1988. So he's one of the longest serving bass faculty members there is there. Um, it's going to be a great interview. Um, but other than that, guys, as always, take it easy and I'll see you in the shed.